0: Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey.
1: Hi, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where, as you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who've <laughs> built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. Yesterday, Ryan and I talked about the brand narrative process. We went all over the place. We talked a little bit about branding as a form, as a craft, especially for independent agencies that can really help brands as an objective party and help somebody hold somebody accountable, like a trainer, I think was a, a great analogy. But today, we're going to talk about content that gets to the heart of things. All right, here's my conversation. Again, with Ryan Kucher, CEO at Circus Maximus. All right, bro. How do we get content to the heart of things?
2: Well, I guess you have to know who you're talking to, what they care about, and why your proposition holds value for them.
1: What's this mistake people are making? Like, how are we screwing it up? I think we're just overcomplicating it. And by the
2: way, guilty as charged. You know, yeah. we overthink so much of this stuff, but we try to make it seem like it's this crazy esoteric science when in fact, it's pretty simple. What's the pain point? What's your consumer struggling with? How do we transition them into a world where they're happy, resolved, and you got
1: them there? I almost feel like at times, and I catch myself more and more as a marketer, where I'm just constantly convincing people, the same thing that you're saying is like, dude, we're overcomplicating this. And it almost feels like if it comes too easy, people like don't believe it. If the process isn't super deep, then, you know, marketers or people feel like we're going to get fired or we're not detailed enough or our PowerPoint's not deep enough or our data is not convincing enough. And at times, like some of the greatest products, some of the greatest campaigns in the world were simple. I mean, Apple, they were the proof that they never tested anything. And there's a lot of other great campaigns, but convincing people of art at times, I think, can be tough. And sometimes, like real estate, if you get like the first offer, you're like, well, wait a minute, this isn't right. Like when magic comes together, you almost don't. Believe it. Talk to us more about how to get off this. You know, if it's not 100 page deck, then you know we're not really doing our job. Like if it is coming easy, and if we are talking to human beings and putting together campaigns that communicate well to other humans, and we know how to communicate. You know, pretty well with humans. So, campaigns and brands are really the same thing. Like, I don't know, maybe go down that wormhole. How do we convince other stakeholders and other people we work with? If it is easy, that's okay. And we're doing a good job. I
2: think there's two audiences. And like, we've probably all been in those meetings where it's like, we know that what we're really trying to do in this meeting is sell this boardroom on this idea. Mm-hmm. Cause we're like pretty much ready to be done with it. You know, yeah. what you end up with is a campaign that tests really well for the C suite in the boardroom. And then you spent 18 months to get there, you put it in market and no one gives a shit because you didn't create it for your consumer. You created it to get it out of that boardroom. So that happens a lot. I think those days are probably less common now than they used to be. And I would say probably that's the big fundamental shift with AI and the speed with which AI allows people to create stuff is that it's like that kind of phenomenon, being in a boardroom and having to get consensus from everybody and get to an idea that everyone feels comfortable with and has cut their little piece out of, you can kind of skip that. Right, because creators can go straight to market, and I think that's what was interesting to us at Circus Maximus in the social era was that it seemed like brands were going to market faster and yep. testing of the stuff. We're going to make three hundred different Facebook ads, and we're going to let the algorithm sort it out. And so somewhere in between the two, I think is where the magic happens.
1: I agree um, with you, and I think it's a great point about AI of how much just faster we can create and get actual proof of concept ideas to a boardroom for approval to then create the full thing and go to market. I think I talked about that in my last podcast a little bit. So I couldn't agree with you more, but how do you maybe back to our original point, like how do you get to the heart of things? Does it go back to that purpose Piece and that you should say the book you talked about before. I haven't heard that, but I love the Japanese book or something around purpose you talked about.
2: Yeah, it's a principle called Ikigai, and it's okay. It basically is like purpose finding. And Purpose is that thing that's the combination of what are you inspired by, what does the world need, what are you good at. And why should they pay for it? And when you kind of have like the Venn diagram overlap of those four things, you've found your Ikigai, your magic. And, you know, look, we've all worked for brands that maybe are like, we're the lowest priced. And that would be like Ikigai at a skew, right? It's like, we figured out what, why someone would pay us for it because it's the lowest price, but there's no value behind it, or it's not the best product, or it's not a unique. So you can kind of use that framework to sort of understand, like, is this messaging a, a successful overlap? Oh, that's my dog. My dog was
1: working earlier too. I have to mute it. Very professional. Yeah, well, it. We do it here. But so,
2: yeah, so we kind of use that framework to figure out, like, is this messaging touching on those elements of the brand to make sure that it kind of lives up to that Ikigai model? Who's doing it well in the marketplace that you see? Let's see who's doing it well. I have to bring up my list of, you know, what's interesting? Let me think about brands that I've looked at lately, and I probably am seeing a lot on, like, Instagram. That's about the only place I see advertising anymore.
1: I've been watching whatever HBO just merged with Max or whatever, and i like everyone watching Succession and then now there's ads on freaking HBO Max which I think is awesome by the way and there's this egg company and they're like talk about like basically less bullshit and like is yeah. it Vital Farms?
2: Yeah. So that's Preacher that did that work. They're also here in Austin. That's Rob Baird and Crystal. She used to be Crystal Loyland. I actually don't know her. What's name. the name of
1: the brand again? I should know this. Uh, I'd love it. Vital Farms. Vital Farms. Yeah. And their commercial is like no corporate bullshit or whatever, just there, fresh organic yeah. eggs or some shit. I'm like, this is awesome.
2: Eggs, by the way, are surprisingly complex, like free range, pasture raised. Yeah whatever, gluten-free yeah. vegan eggs, by the way. They're not, chickens aren't vegan. But no, I mean, I love that kind of stuff that that's a great, you asked earlier, it's like, can it be this simple? It, it was class. so
1: simple. Yes, it yeah. should be. That's the point.
2: Yeah. And it's like categories often have conventions that everyone starts to fall into. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to break one of them to be really provocative or to stand out. Like years and years ago, when we did Whopper Freak Out, the Tagline for Burger King was, have it your way. And the premise was like, well, what if you couldn't have it your way? And you couldn't have this thing that you loved. And we took it away and people freaked out. It ended up being really successful because it broke that one rule.
1: I heard two ways you can show a campaign is, one, which you did with Burger King, which is what the world would be like without it. Uh, which probably goes to the brand purpose stuff that you're talking about. And the other, you can show why the world's great with it. But man, provocative to show like, hey, what would the world be like if we didn't have Amazon? What would the world be like if we didn't have, I don't even know what it would be, but something like it to your point. What about Zoom? We'd all be a commercial real estate wouldn't be in crisis. Yeah, exactly yeah i wouldn't be i'm up here in flagstaff like i'm doing a podcast from flagstaff because of what zoom kind of did during COVID. i love that way of just showing maybe what we take for granted with some of our beloved brands so i think that's a cool way you did burger king for sure
2: and i don't think there's like any there's not like a formula that gets you there and there's not one right campaign there's a million different ways to answer the problem that's kind of in one way as a creative person some of the lessons going through the social era that we've been in is like don't really fall in love too much with any one particular idea just try to do as many as you can and kind of like God or the algorithm sort of
1: out you know that's um, a great point that's pretty counterculture a little bit from a creative, especially from big agencies. You can iterate
2: off of like, once you've got that brand narrative kind of sorted out, like there's a million different stories a brand could tell, and maybe they tell them differently in different channels, or maybe you tell them differently in the Mm -hmm. same channel. Hopefully that brand narrative is something that inspires you to think of a million different ways you can tell a story. All of those stories are hopefully helping kind of solve that consumer problem or transitioning them from one way of living to the way that they want to live. So some of this stuff is like David Ogilvy from the 70s. It's some combination of like direct response marketing and creative advertising and I think that's the weird kind of magic that lives in the middle is that like forever it was really all about brand advertising and Nike and like make me feel kind of a certain way and then the social era came in and it was like we've just completely swung the pendulum to direct response advertising and if it doesn't get a click or a like or a share or a click-through then it's a piece of shit, you know and it, I think the truth is somewhere in between
1: I, man I, I agree with that I, I think that's really interesting and then I, of course the agency guy here I go to like and now we have these pitches with seven agencies and we've got to you know in a vacuum decide the brand platform and the brand purpose and then executions and ideas through that it's such a stupid way to do that I I would encourage you brand markers out there I think RFPs they're archaic and it's not a good way and I gotta tell you so I just went through a huge RFP with I think like seven agencies I think we finished second or third or whatever it cost us like three three or four hundred thousand dollars okay over like seven months and you I thought we had really good, relevant experience. I thought we were in the leader. Otherwise I wouldn't have pitched it, but man, how are you going to decide your brand? I think there needs to be a collaborative process to really understand your brand purpose and then executions outside of that and deciding on what agency part you're going to be based on cost and what creative executions you liked in a pitch and a presentation. That's stupid. I'm sorry I think it's I think it's insane.
2: Man if I had an answer for how to win a pitch I wouldn't be here I'd be in my <laughs> I'd be in the bowl or something like that. I think maybe specialization is part of that where it's yeah. like one of the things that now take this year take 2023 it just light it on fire because this year it's a fucking disaster
1: but it is a disaster this year I, i've seen more incumbents at like i want to say 70 80 percent of incumbents are winning RFPS right now mm-hmm. i think people are scared and i think people are grinding down their agencies on price which is why they're staying with the incumbent typically if something goes to pitch you're screwed you're not going to keep it right because it's going to rfp and so it typically would be 70 percent the other way around so mm-hmm. i think that's really an interesting over the last call it 12 to 18 to 24 months that incumbents are winning three out of five four five pitches, which is pretty insane. I don't know what to do differently. And again, I'm not complaining about RFPs. I don't care. I'm just thinking about truthfully, because this is our audience, brand marketers. What would I do as a brand marketer to pick an agency? And I've been a CMO, I've been an investor in brands. And so that's what I try to think about. Like, what, How would I pick an agency and what would I look for? And to your point, when you're trying to find brand purpose and get to the heart of things and develop something that's going to work and give you a, a lasting campaign and brand, but also direct response and multiple ideas, ideas and executions. I don't know if I could find that in a pitch is my only point.
2: I think if you're trying to figure out what you want from an agency through a pitch process, you're probably, you know. Yeah.
1: Yes. I agree with you. Yes. But if you think about what type of agency and what type of relationship and what type of vibe do I want and what relevant experience do they have, which is really more of an FI. Absolutely. It's kind of like the golden trifecta, I guess. As I've looked
2: back, it's like, do you have like what you just said, right? Do you have specific expertise in exactly what they're looking for? Let's like call it brand. Narrative. Do you have category experience? Have you done this three times in this category to great effect? And then the third is do you have someone that's recommended you? Do you have a trusted voice on the client side that has said, hey, you should look at this agency. When we've had those three, we've found a lot of success. And if I were a client, that would, also, that would still be the magic formula, right? It's like, I want to make sure that anyone that I'm talking to has proven success in my category, proven success in exactly the service that I'm looking for them from. And if I could really have someone that a trusted friend or coworker or former coworker that knows someone that has those two things, I'm ready to go. And that's the only way that we've ever been able to do it without a full RFP.
1: We're on a totally different direction here, but I love it. I think this is very relevant for the marketing people on the show. I couldn't agree with you more. Like having an internal person that has worked with your agency before and had success. That's how we've gotten all our business. I mean, I think we have like nine Disney brands right now. And just because we've worked with everyone there and they know exactly what we're going to do. We know the category and that's the business we get. I love the thing you said most is, do you have relevant experience in the category? At least three relevant experience in the category. And I think category experience is really truly the specialization key, not necessarily tactical experience, whether it's social or digital or production or whatever it is, or e-commerce or whatever. I think more... A category relevant experience if I was a marketer that's what I would absolutely be looking for actually working with because because when you're in a firefight of getting something done and you need to be working with people that get shit done that you trust that are good to work with that like because a million things are going to be screwed up as you try to get working together and someone that will ultimately deliver when it's hot like that to me would be what I would look for an agency to and have I done that with them yeah and it's like think about if you want to have your bathroom redone yeah And you go on
2: Angie's list. Angie kicks you a bunch of special folks that have specialty in that area. You're going with people that, not electricians, not mm. people to redo barn dominiums. You're looking at people that redo bathrooms. And then you're looking at like, do they have a couple examples of the bathroom style that I want? And are they well-rated? That's how you pick. That's how we pick. Yep. So it was sort of very similar. I mean, obviously there's other factors involved. There's pricing, there's chemistry and all that stuff. At its core, I can at least empathize with that. And what I've tried to do is just like, if, if we have
1: two of them, we might give it a whirl. If we only have one of those things, we're not hiring me. You know, but you wouldn't pick a bathroom specialist on the... CAD drawing that they came up with and judge five of them on what, be, what's the best CAD drawing and idea they came up with for the bathroom rental. No freaking way. Right. But some no. people are judging agencies based on that. It's tough. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but like the
2: suite of things that are called advertising, it's like so broad now. And yeah. some of the services are so specialized and so technical that it's hard as a client to even know. And they're all interconnected. So you could be saying like, well, my advertising sucks. We need a new creative, we need a new production partner. But in fact, it's like the reason why your advertising sucks is because you guys don't have a shared understanding of what your brand is all about. So what you actually need is this other solution.
1: So there's some diagnostic that goes on in there. It's just, I say all that. There's there's typically a root cause to why something's screwed up in marketing. It's not one channel. There's typically, just like with any health ailment, it's not what's, you know, you could take some pills and make that area feel better, but typically there's some root cause issues there. Yeah. And I think if you have category experience as an agency, I don't know, I think you have more
2: expertise when a client comes like if you work in sports and athletics or whatever like you've got five clients in that space you are going to have a better you're going to be better positioned to help
1: that client correct i agree you can co-create i think a good marketer and a good agency are partners in co-creation of things and i've noticed that there's been times i didn't have the category experience and i would be pushing my client in the wrong direction based on a human insight belief or based on a creative belief or based on maybe some flawed data because different industries and different Categories work very differently from each other. So, as I've again narrowed in just to more of a few industries, I do have more confidence in certain ideas and executions and things and partnerships. So, I man, you're preaching the choir on category expertise. Hopefully, marketers are hearing that. I think they would agree too, and that's why I think we've seen that industry going there. Or if you're an agency, like you go to the Mirren conference, I know those guys really well that put the new business conference on for agencies. And first thing they tell you is category expertise and design your website to have the category expertise. It makes total. Yeah. Anyone that's still listening is going like, yeah, no shit, guys. I know. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Really insightful. All right. Final words, Ryan, What maybe last words to marketers or just we can go on a rant again. What would you leave us here? What wisdom would you leave us with before we wrap up? Man, that's kind of a
2: broad question. For those people thinking about starting an agency, I think the idea would be one of the two Ds, pick a discipline or a demographic and go mm-hmm. deep on that. So right. you could either be a discipline could be brand narrative, brand strategy, brand strategy, TikTok content or a demographic for client. And here's the reason why we're, we only do, you know, vegan. What underwear. do you think
1: I'm going to switch gears just cause I don't know. I'm having fun with you. What do you think the next five years looks like? Like five years from now, this, this business or three years, like with AI and all this shit, man, like what? Bro, let me make it through the next five months. I know. Right. I do think <laughs> here's one thing. And I hate to like, everyone has an AI blog and AI this and AI that right now. I think works to your point earlier, works going to be getting done much faster ideas and work and things come to market faster with AI. And I think the smart thinkers, the big thinkers, the strategic thinkers in this business are going to be extremely successful. The doers of specific things, AI can do that. That's kind of my general gist of what I think is going on. And I've been surprised at the level of executions that in the creative side of the business that AI can make different AI platforms.
2: Yeah. I was like everyone else. I've been reading a lot about it and asking people what they think. And someone pointed out that whether it was the digital era or the social era, those were like channels where we would place advertising. But AI is the first technology that comes into the creative process, that comes into our space and sort of tells us how to do it. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that that runs an e-commerce marketing, or excuse me, email marketing agency. And I was like, well, are you guys using AI and they're using different tools in different ways. But I was like, is it because you just you see all these articles about how it's changing everything. And it's like, well, so what, how are you using it? And he was just like, look, man, we use it where we can, but it still needs us to kind of guide it a little bit. Yeah. And so I will hesitate to make any prognostications about how it's going to change the future of the business. There's two things that people love to do in advertising. One, declare that it's dead. <laughs> and then to predict some future for it, which is always at odds because if it's dead, it doesn't. But we'll see. We'll see. I've used it to do email marketing and it worked pretty well for me, where I've used it to help generate ideas.
1: I think idea generation, copywriting, lower funnel production, scaling production. We've been using it to run media buys for almost a decade now. I don't have any less media buyers today than I did 10 years ago. I have more, but they just do work better and faster. So, where it goes ultimately, I, I did love Sir Martin Sorrell's when he was on CNBC. I watched a thing and, you know, he's kind of an interesting dude, but he is pretty spot on when it comes to industry trends. And he was basically saying the same thing. Like, he actually is very pro agency business. I would be too. I also think that potentially there's going to be more challenger brands fully outsourcing marketers to marketing to agencies who can get now have the level of scaled production, which we hadn't before. Like, there was just so much work that had to get done. You had to bring a lot of that in house. So I'm very pro agency long term. I'm very pro independent agency, but I'm extremely biased. So who knows?
2: Yeah, like we've all like we've all kind of lived through the social era and most of us, if you're creative, you've kind of been like, man, this sucks. Yeah. I have to go my shit all the time. I gotta it's like a burden. And you can either outsource it to places like Eastern Europe or wherever. But if you can have AI do it for you and that frees you up to be more the creative person and let the execution the demands of skyrocket, right? So it's like if I can spend less of my time on that stuff and more time on the creative and the visionary side, it's probably a good Thing? I think so too.
1: I think it's gonna make the work better because we'll be we'll have more time to think about how to truly connect something with somebody else, a brand or an idea. And less time we're in about the 2000 pieces of executional creative and sizes you need to do, which that already existed too. So I don't know, we're all over the place. I'm way over, but dude, you're freaking awesome. I love talking shop. Like to me, it's about like, dude, connecting with someone at an agency or a brand or specialized service or tech company and just talking shop. And I think a lot of times it could be just validation that we're all thinking the same things that, you know, that we're on the right path. I love the, let's not overcomplicate this business. Let's not overcomplicate things. It should be simple. I think a lot of people try to pump themselves up in this business by coming up with something that is way overcomplicated. And that's bullshit in in my opinion. So good to hear it it, it was your opinion too. So hey,
2: what'd you say? Thanks for having me on. on. I appreciate it. And I'm the same. I like to just kind of kick it around and talk about what's going on. So I appreciate you having me
1: on. I love it, man. Thanks, Brian Kucher, CEO at Circus Maximus for joining us. If you'd like to contact the Ryan website, Circus Maximus, Maximus.com or Ryan Kucher on Twitter. All right, man. Thanks. Cool. Cool, bro. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.